This is Africa Emerging Podcast with your host, Tutu Adamola. We're set to showcase the unique contributions of influential Africans living in the developed economies who, against all odds, have made indelible marks in their respective professions around the world. Join me as we shape this new narrative. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 8 of the Africa Emerging Podcast. Happy New Year to my listeners and welcome to 2019. My guest on this episode of the show is Yemi Oshinkoya, Director and Designer, Kosiba Konto. In this episode of the show, we talked about his natural passion for drawing, how he has been inspired by designers in the 50s from a very young age, and also the huge support from his parents and family to follow his passion. We also talked about reason why he decided to choose this niche area in the fashion industry, making bespoke luxury made to measure Kosiba Contour. We talked about the power of collaboration with the right network, identifying what you're good at. In his 28 years of being in business, one key lesson Yemi shared is the need to stay in your own lane. Don't feel obliged to keep up with the Joneses. Give good service. Give yourself room to make mistakes. Learn from your mistake. It's a learning opportunity. He gets snippets into some celebrities he has dressed in the past. Though for Yemi, his focus is making each client feel special, whether a celebrity or not. We talked about opportunity of sharing his knowledge by taking on interns. He also gave advice for upcoming in the fashion industry. The conversation was such an interesting one. Yemi displaying a true passion for what he does. I enjoyed it and I hope you enjoy it too. Thank you, Yemi Oshikoya, for coming on the Africa Emerging show today. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's my pleasure to be on. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So is um, Yemi Oshikoya. Yes. Okay. So, yes, Yemi Oshikoya. And uh, the label is called Mm -hmm. Kosiba. I was uh, born and brought up in Ibadan in Nigeria. And I had my... Second uh, primary school and secondary school within the university campus of University of Ibadan. Uh, I'm one of four uh, boys born to Professor Babatunde and Mrs. Beryl Kosiba Oshunkoya. Um, normal upbringing, uh, very supportive, happy home. And then I went to University of Ifair, um, now Bafemi Law University. And then after that, I went to the Paris Academy School of Fashion in London to study fashion design. Okay, great, great. So at what point did you um, come to the UK to um, study fashion design? Uh, 1988. Wow, that's it. That's it. A while ago, what was there any specific drive that um, you know made you want to pursue that um, you know that passion? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to go back a bit. Now I got into I got into fashion because I was very good at drawing, and my parents were very social, and they go to lots of weddings, and they take me with them. And I, for some reason, I just had a fascination for the whole rigmarole of weddings. I found it really interesting. But I'd come home, and I would draw 
what I have seen, the whole bridal party, you know, the bride, the chief bridesmaid, the flower girls. And at that time in Nigeria, there used to be lots of different categories. You'd have balloon girls, you'd have um, girls of the basket, you know, because you had to put all your relatives in. Mm-hmm. And I'd draw all these, um, I'd draw all these people I'd seen. My mom would take it to work, show her friends, uh, you know, her nursing colleagues. And, you know, I, I would really support, supported and um, encouraged. And, um, and uh, you know, so that's where the kernel of fashion started. Now, when I got to the age of 15, when you do your, at that time it was YAC, I'm not really sure what it is now. Yeah. And I, you know, I didn't really do well in my science subjects. I, I hedged my bet and I did some science subjects and I did some art subjects. And when I failed my science subjects, and I knew if I took it again, I'd fail. So I told my dad, look, the reality is that if I took my science subjects again, I'd fail. And he said, okay, so what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'd, I'd like to do fashion. And he was like, yeah, um, whatever it is you want to do, as long as you do it to the best of your ability, go ahead. You know, and, you know he said, what's the best um, place to do fashion? I said, Paris. So he said, okay, but it's really important you go to university. Mm-hmm. And at that time, there wasn't a university in Nigeria that um, did fashion. So the compromise we made was that I would go and study fine art. So it wasn't forcing me to do medicine or law or anything like that. I'll do fine art and I'd major in textile designs. And then after that, I'll go and do fashion. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in the, in, the first sem- in the second semester of my second year, so around January of my second year in university, my father died. Wow. Yeah, very sudden, had a heart attack and he died. Wow. So his brother, who had children in England, said to me and my mom, don't worry, I will, you know, fulfill the promise my brother made. However, I don't know anything about Paris. So if Yemi wants to come to England, that's fine. So right from when I was in university, I knew that afterwards I would go to England to study fashion. Mm-hmm. So that was, so the, the when you say what was the push, there, there always was a plan, like, you know, I had always known that was what I wanted to do. But when I thought that I would have to wait until after I graduated before doing fashion, in my, in the second year, so after my father had died, but he's still in the second year, there was somebody that did a fashion show. Um, her name is Itwen Bassi, mm-hmm. quite a famous designer, yeah. in, you know, now. And she did a, a fashion show. She was studying English, I think. And she did this whole collection. And I thought to myself, oh my God. So... You can just do it. You don't have to, you know, wait until whatever. So I got, um, I was talking to a friend of mine, a a senior, uh, a a very kind lady in the final year at that time. And I told her that, oh my gosh, you know, if you twin can do that, why can't I? So she helped me and she actually gave me 500 naira. Out of the goodness of her heart, I would never forget. Wow, And 500 naira at that time, was a lot of money. Yeah. So I did the collection, but I couldn't sew. So I got my mom's tailor. I had some designs. I did the whole collection, all very cohesive, and it was black and white. And I did a fashion show. At that time, there used to be um, student clubs that would then do uh, like an entertainment evening. Yeah. So I did my first fashion show then, and that was 1980. Uh, 84, I make it. 84, 85, I can't remember. It was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. You know, well, well, you you mentioned something quite striking there. Having a supportive family really yes. help you to follow that passion. And Absolutely. It, yeah, it, it's quite rare for um, an African um, parent at that time to yes. say it's okay to go and study fashion. Yes. Everyone, yes. every African parent at that time wanted to study medicine. Absolutely. Go into like, you know, be a lawyer, um, you know, yes. some key accountants. That's know, right. So, so I think that's quite key that it, it's a big lesson for us that, as parents and as people generally, yes. you know, help people to push them towards, you know, their yes. passion and achieving them at their goal, which is, which yes. is quite, quite, quite great. So when you did come to, um, um, go to Paris to study and um, come over to the UK, how were you able to integrate quickly following the well, fact? Yeah. Okay. Well, the, the reality is that, um, as a family, we went to England quite often for holidays. So I was very used to London. Yeah. Um, the uncle that, uh, you know, paid my feet had a home there. So we normally used to stay there anyway. So, it, you know, it was, it, it was, it, 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 there was just almost like no change at all. I was very used to the place and, you know, obviously mm-hmm. they speak English. If I had gone to Paris, that would have been a problem, I think, mm-hmm. in retrospect. But So coming to England was very easy. Yeah. Um, and I just sort of slid right in and I knew what I wanted to do. And I, you know, every day I'd get up when, you know, when I started, studying I, I just say to myself oh my gosh I cannot believe I'm actually doing this because I it was my passion so mm-hmm. every single day I was present as in I was aware of what I was doing grasping all the knowledge yeah. in fact mm-hmm. um, the school I went to was a private school now yeah. I didn't want to do another four years of intensive fashion education where you know you'd be doing mood boards and you know you'd be sitting around sketching and so on but I just wanted to know how do I make a pattern how do I you know how do I sew because up up until that point I'd never sat on a sewing machine in our house we didn't have a sewing machine as I said my parents were very academic so Mm. you know I but I could draw very well yeah um so I I um my the teachers in the school realized how much how interested I was and they actually went away from the very strict curriculum, which is something they hardly ever did, but they just spotted this guy is really um, into it. And I knew the sacrifices my uncle and later on my mom Mm. um, did to to pay my fees. And they taught me stuff that really was above the the grade that I was paying the school to Fantastic. to do Fantastic. and uh, yeah and that has really paid me up, to, up until today because it's what you'd call old school couture very labor intensive yeah. you know you take over 26 very precise measurements you mm-hmm. do something called a twirl which is a mock version yeah um, really intensive uh, uh couture techniques and that has you know that has paid off today. I can imagine. So what made you, you know, apart from the fact that, you know, growing up, you went with um, your parents and mom, you know, mm-hmm. to fa- big Nigerian weddings. Yes. What made you choose that niche area okay. within the fashion industry? Very good question. Now, when I started my business, uh, first of all, I started after I did a course in women's wear and then I did a course in men's wear. Yeah. So I could do everything. And in the early 90s in England, there was a recession and mm-hmm. nobody was hiring. I wrote lots of letters and nobody was hiring. And I thought to myself, well, I can either sit here writing all these letters or I could just roll up my sleeves and get on with it. And the, gov- the government at that time was 
um, trying to steer people towards self-employment. So yeah. they did, they offered like free courses, business courses, um, six weeks free of charge. And wow. there you would, you learned, I learned marketing, finance, accounting, mm. um, PR, which was extremely useful. And they said to us at that time, regardless of what your business is, there are certain things that if you don't pay attention, adhere to, your yeah. business will fail. Absolutely. Um, you can be as talented as anything. If you don't run it as a business, it, it will fail. And that and what I learned in school are things yeah, I, I thank God every day I had the opportunity of learning because it really fixed something in my mind. That's why I'm really focused when it comes to the business side of my um, of my of my label. So to answer your question, when I opened my business, I said yes to everybody because you are you're wondering where is the next client going to come in. You know, yeah. very quickly I realized I hated doing menswear. I found it so boring, and mm-hmm. um, I want and I wanted to wear. I wanted to design clothes that are beautiful, that are wearable. And I just found that doing menswear was really boring. And if I, if I did Atlantic design, they looked ridiculous. I didn't want to be designing costume. Yeah. Um, so for me, I said, no, I'm not happy. And I had, I had made up my mind. I want to do, I want to be happy when I'm designing. I want to feel fulfilled. Yeah. And I'm not going to do something that I'm resenting doing it. No, I'm my own boss, you know, mm-hmm, if I, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I, I set aside menswear and then also i realized that when if i'm doing casual wear because of the way i was trained and once you're trained to do something you can't sort of go back and cut corners at least i can't you know Mm -hmm. so i had to do an individual block for each client i had to do a a prototype which is a 12 and quite frankly it just did not make any business sense to do casual wear it would be too expensive you might as well just go to zara h and m and buy exactly yeah so it happened very quickly, but in an organic way. I think it took about two, three years for me to say, no, my designs lend themselves to glamour, lend yeah. themselves to beautiful dresses. And bridal and evening wear was an, almost like a natural way exactly, to exactly. go. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. from a business point of view, for the amount of work I am putting into a dress and to make it worth my while, bridal wear was the most viable aspect mm-hmm. um, to go to. So um, the two things merged into each other. That's why I got into bridal wear. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course with bridal well or, you know, having a glamorous occasion, you want to look, you know, unforgettable. Yes. For, that, for that day so um and the amount of work you put into it you just don't want that amount of work to go into like any casual you can wear on every every day every yeah, day it sense. you want you want yeah you want so you know you putting all that effort into it making luxury made to made to measure um yeah. clothes and gowns how easy or how challenging was it breaking into the fashion industry um here in the developed um economies knowing fully well that they're well established brand who've got the name who've got who's got you know the support and the platform how how were you able to break in to make a name for yourself um when at that time i was just doing so all what i'm telling you is in retrospect you know looking back at that time i was just like 
I just dove straight in. I probably was a bit naive because the school I went to, being a private school, they really didn't organize um, internship or work placement. So mm -hmm. I'd never worked for anybody before. You know, so there were a few mistakes I'd, I made. Um, and because I was doing it bit by bit by bit, you know, I, I did sort of the casual way thing. Um, so in, in a sort of natural way, I was paving my way. But I realized very quickly what you need to do. People need to know who you are and what you do. This was in the days before social media. Mm -hmm. So I realized I need to get myself into bridal magazines. Um, that was the best way. And also I realized I needed to get into editorial as opposed to advertising because anybody can advertise. So, uh, you know, a potential bride should look at the back and you get lost. Yeah. So I, I said to myself, I'm going to collaborate with photographers or people that will be able to get me images and also i want to do it with, with spending the least amount of money that i can yeah so you then align yourself with um either a photographer or a florist somebody that wants to get images for their purpose yeah and then you come together so nobody pays anybody but at the end of the day you agree you get the images mm -hmm. and i also realized that a lot of the fashion editors they're very busy so if you can make their life easy just give them good images and a sort of story or an angle. Um, and that's what I did. Mm. I tried going down the PR route and, you know, I tried four and they all ended in disaster. You pay a lot of money and, you know, you don't really get a return. And then it's sort of your fault. It's really clever the way they do it. So I thought, you know, I have to, <laughs> have to control myself. Yeah. So it wasn't easy, but I, was, I remained focused. And I'm the sort of person that I, I stay my lane. Mm -hmm. I'm very happy for my contemporaries. You know, if you go and get a fancy shop, you know, I, you know, I celebrate with you. I'm very happy for you. But I'm not going to say because X or Y is doing this, therefore I should. Yeah. That has been my personality. And that's one of the, I'm very, I'm, I sort of thank God for that aspect of my personality that I don't feel obliged to, to, to um, keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. You yeah. know, you, I'd rather sleep at yeah. night mm -hmm. and not worry that mm. force myself to do some sort of vanity thing that will then cause problems. That's yeah. why I've been in uninterrupted business. Yeah. This will be my 28th year. Wow. And that wow. is because, <laughs> that's because mm. I have always faced my lane and I have tried to do what I do perfectly yeah. and, you know, give good service. So um, mm. the, the, at the beginning was, 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 challenging but because yes. i loved what i wasn't doing it for money that's the thing i wasn't doing it for. Hmm. so i was doing it for money i think i would have given up but yeah i just loved what i did what i did i made people look amazing mm -hmm. if i say so myself um and each wedding i do it till today i still get that oh i did that look she's yeah. looking so great because of mm -hmm. something i made and that is what sort of helped me to go through the the difficult period yeah you know what from the conversation we've had so far um key things i've picked up even personally myself you know yeah give yourself room to make mistakes mistakes Absolutely. will come but they when it comes it would happen but you yes. just need to try and you know overcome it and move to the next thing yeah and, and i will also add hmm. try and learn something from it I'll yeah. give you a, a very simple uh, example. When I first started, in terms of getting payment, I was a bit, you know, um, haphazard about it until I realized that a, there was a bride that got her dress before she paid 
a final balance. Yeah. And, the, and she didn't pay it in the end. So I thought to myself, oh my gosh, okay, that's never going to happen again. Because the reality is that once a bride or someone that makes cakes, for example, yeah. once they've eaten your cake, mm-hmm. you know, what are you going to do? You, you know, so you, you have to make sure you get paid before they take your product. Mm-hmm. Because you have made the product in a clear conscience. Yeah. So therefore, nobody can say you didn't do your end of the deal because yeah. they would they would use emotional blackmail. Oh my God, my bedroom wouldn't happen. Well, you beg, borrow, and still to to pay. So the point I'm trying to make is that mistakes will happen, but you must make sure you learn something from it so it doesn't happen again. That way, psychologically, it helps you to get over the disappointment or uh, trauma, or you, you you sometimes you want to beat yourself up. No, no, just say okay, this happened. Mm-hmm. It's a learning. It's a learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. Use it to learn, and then mm-hmm. you move on. The same thing with contracts. I was thinking, you know, with weddings, oh, it's all lovely unicorns and uh, you know rainbows. Yeah. But I realized after a few things happened that no, you have to have a contract. Yeah. But you'd say it protects your client and it protects you. Yeah. You know, it's not as if you are. It, it, I thought it was creating a hostile environment, but actually, no. It's it's pro- it's providing a protective environment exactly it just makes the terms clear for everyone yes. and you're yes. all sure of what you're ex- what you're what you're going to expect what you're going to get right yeah That's yeah right. so if you if you had a client who approached you for um a design uh, maybe for their wedding or they've got this special occasion yeah what what would the process what would the process to expect if for example they don't currently live in the location where you live and they say oh my god i really would love um, you mean to design that beautiful dress for me? Okay, I have to say that I do only bespoke couture. So mm. therefore, at some point, I have to actually see and touch my client. If I was only being ready to wear, then a client in a remote place would be fine. I'm not one of those designers that take pride in the fact that I've created something for somebody without doing a fitting. I again I, I give kudos to those people, you know, good for you, but that's not the way I was trained. I have to m- measure my clients and I have to go through the prototype situation. Having said that, over the years because I've had some interns, I'm based in New York now, yes. but I have somebody that trained under me in the UK, I have somebody that trained under me that is now based in Nigeria. So okay. for example, if the client is in Nigeria, to try and make it easy, we can have a meeting via FaceTime or um, WhatsApp what's a video, you know, whatever means that we can yeah. see each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I can get them to go to my former interns in Nigeria or in England to get measured because they know how I measure. Yeah. But, there was, but the fitting situation where I said the prototype, if that doesn't happen, then unfortunately they're not my client and I can't do it. Because the reason they came to me is because they saw something that fits someone perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. And it fit that person perfectly because I did a 12. Therefore, yeah. I'm not going to break the rule and they will be the first people to complain. So yeah. um, if I can do it, then I would, rather than just letting them go away, once I've established it's impossible for them to come to me, mm-hmm. I wouldn't just say go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Then I would say, go to that intern of mine. She has trained under me and I, I can vouch for her. Yeah. So they would literally just go to those people and they would make the dress up. You know, what you've just said about um, you making sure you do the fitting on the yes. bride and all that. 
yeah. can remember there was one one video clip I did see on social media. I think I, I can't remember what platform, but it was okay. something you you did post, and the the bride was really really dancing, you know, on on a special <laughs> on a special day. And yeah. I read somebody's comment. Somebody said, "Oh, you can only dance like that if um yes you've got a dress um made yes. by you're not worried about the ants is going to fall off." Something gonna drop off. Yes, that was that was in um I think it was in Facebook. So to answer your question, because people would like to know, as long as a, a bride can come to me, what is the process? So mm-hmm. I will discuss um what their ideal idea is. They might they might have an idea and they might not. Either way is fine, but I still want to know what are you coming to the meeting with? You know, um, for example, do you want a dress that has a fishtail? Do you want a dress that has a ball gown or something like that? I will also need to know if there are any social or religious aspects that come into the design. You know, for example, are you getting married in a church that you need your shoulders covered? Mm-hmm. Or, do you know, maybe for traditional reasons, you have to have some item of modesty. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, bride is happy. I want a, a very low back. I just need to know all the parameters. Mm-hmm. And then also I'll ask them areas of their bodies that they have, you know, concerns. Everybody has body mm-hmm. issues. Yeah. So as a designer, just let me know. Um, or maybe my some people will have arms I want to cover or I have a tattoo. Little or I have a scar. Mm-hmm. Those are the things I need to know. Um and then I have design sketches. So once I know the sort of silhouette a bride wants, then I show her design sketches of um, designs I've done. She might like the top of something, the bottom of something else. And then I end up creating a design that is unique to her. Mm-hmm. So what I do is, 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 is couture in the, in the true form of the word. It's not like a design that exists and then I'm just tweaking it for you. No. Yeah. The combination of your figure. Mm-hmm your wedding, where it's going to be, um, and all those elements come into this one design that I'm doing. We talk about fabrics, we talk about texture, colors, etc. And then I take those 26 measurements I was talking about. In fact, when they come, I normally ask them, please think of the height of the shoes you're going to wear. Because I like my bride's dresses to touch the floor, but I don't want them to feel as if they're going to trip. (laughs) And I also don't want them to feel as if, oh my gosh, they ran out of fabric, you know, when they're sort Mm. of hovering. So little things like that are really um, important. And when they come for the fitting process I was talking about, because my unique selling point is figure enhancement. I can take about three or four inches off the average person's waist. Now, if you are, if you are, um, if you are really skinny, with I can give you curves. If you are mm. big, I can suck you in. Or you know, if you want to celebrate that hourglass figure, I can mm. do that as well. That's what I try to do to recreate the hourglass figure. And everybody, regardless of what your body's like, I can work with it. You know, so mm. I don't deal in dress sizes. I deal in body measurements. So wow. you know, uh, dress size is irrelevant. And I would say this to you. Hmm. No bride, regardless, you know, I've dealt with brides that will be, I guess it will be like size 24, size 28. Nobody wears a bra with my dresses. Hmm. All the support is inside the dress with the wow. internal corsetry. Hmm. So that's one of my unique selling points. Um, hmm. And that's why it's important that I do the fitting. So during the first fitting, I get them to sit down. You know, I need to know that the bones, for example, don't touch the top of the thighs because yeah. if they do, if you imagine it then has an effect where it lifts it up. Yeah, to, yeah. You know, yeah. that you have that trussed up feeling. Little things like that, you yeah. know, there might be. There are so also there are some... Um, wrinkles that happen around the pelvic area of yeah. most women when they wear a skirt. 
Yeah. That can only make itself known when it's worn. I then take those wrinkles and I, I gather them together and pin them. It becomes almost like a dart, which I then wow. go to my pattern and eliminate. It's almost like a, 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 a tummy tuck, yeah. you know, <laughs> or sometimes they're, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the back, because I like to celebrate the female form. I yeah. find that there is a part beneath the, the bottom area that mm. really should be taken in. Yeah. You know, it's, it's sort of baggy. It just makes the fit look great. Mm-hmm. You know, I make sure. And then I, I also manage that with, um, I make sure they can sit down yeah. because it has to look good, but you must be able to sit. You know, yeah, you can't comfort. be, yeah. it's, not a, it's not a photo shoot, you know, yeah. <laughs> getting out of a car. Exactly. So those are all the elements that I, I take into consideration. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then normally I will do a second 12 so that all the things that come up in the first um, fitting, I do the second fit. And that's why quite often, even in fact it's happening this year, I when I when a bride is getting married abroad, mm. sometimes they fly me to them. I bring the dress, and that's the first time they are seeing the dress. Wow. But because of the second fit, mm. I know the dress is going to fit. Mm. And also in that time, you know, WAs in terms of fabrics and everything, so know. they know what the dress is going to look like. Mm-hmm. But that's the only way that I can guarantee the, the perfect. You know, with, with all this talent you've got and, you know, this level of detail, yeah. do, you, do you offer people, I know you say you've got some interns um, yes. in, in, in the UK, in, in West Africa, Nigeria. do you offer people training? Because you've got so much talent and I think the few people, especially people of colour that do what you do. So do you offer people the opportunity if they want to learn? I do, I do. I mean, the, those interns I was talking about, the only reason they're ex-interns because they were interns at some point. So, I, you know, I mentioned briefly that the, the school I went to was fantastic. It was great. But the only one thing I realized was the downside was that they didn't offer work placement. Mm-hmm. And I made a few mistakes in business because I had to learn on the go. So I, my thinking is I'd rather teach people things to look out for because no matter what you learn, mm-hmm. real life is different from, you know, um, when, when you're studying something in school, that's like theory. Yeah. You have to know the practical and therefore, and I have a lot of knowledge to share and I feel there's enough business to go around and I believe in elevating people. It's not a training that you are coming to me green. No, you have yeah. to have some knowledge and then I just guide you through best practice and I show you the way, um, you know, I feel you can achieve something really good and, and then you, you, you benefit from it. So it's not, you know, when people do internship with me, um, I, I sort of threw them in the deep end, but I know yeah. what I'm doing. There's a method to my madness. Um, mm-hmm. like a bit scared. Oh my God, I can't believe they're doing this. But often <laughs> we are either doing the 12, which is in Calico, or if it's a real if it's a real dress, it's maybe for my collection. So not that mm-hmm. I'm encouraging them to make mistakes, but I wouldn't really use a paying client's outfit for that. For that. I would mm-hmm. use my collection so if you make a mistake it's not the end of the world yeah you know but then you are learning you're learning real stuff exactly i think it's really important it is it is so who inspired you i know growing up like you've mentioned earlier on um do you you have you know a natural passion for art drawing so were there specific people in the industry were already established that inspired you that yeah um that goes into two parts I was inspired by designers from the 50s. So uh, talking about Christian Dior, um, Yves Delonor, 
and Givenchy in because of the, the, the clothes they made had lots of things happening inside that influenced how they looked on the outside. And I used to pour through encyclopedias. Again, that was the day before Google uh, and it had all the designers and I'd read them and, you know, I was really fascinated. But when it, come to, when it, came, when it comes to actual people, uh, somebody that really inspired me was Bruce Oldfield. Now, because yeah. Bruce Oldfield was a black man mm-hmm. and I could relate to that, he's somebody that grew up in an uh, orphanage yeah. and yet he ended up making dresses for Princess Diana, and, you know, he was doing couture. So I thought, well, if he can do it, so can I. Mm -hmm. And there was also another designer called Joe Kinsley Hafer that he's not very popular now, but again, he was a black male designer. And that, you know, sometimes you need to see something that reflects you Mm -hmm. to know something is possible. That's why another reason why I also try to um, hopefully in a small way show people coming behind me that, look, if I can do it, anybody can do it as long as you fit your lane. So, yeah, I was very inspired. And then there was this designer called um, Anthony Price. Mm -hmm. Now, Anthony Price wasn't, you know, he's not a name most people will be familiar with, but he used to make these dresses for people like Paula Yates and... um, uh, this woman that used to be married to Mick Jagger, I've forgotten her name, but they, they had these dresses that looked like Jessica, you know, in them they looked like Jessica Rabbit. Yeah. And it was almost like gravity defined dresses. You think, right. how on earth is this thing standing up? Mm-hmm. How, mm-hmm. you know, where does it start? Where does it finish? And I was yeah. really fascinated. And I, I said, that's what I want to do. That's where the figure enhancement came in. So it's all, I realized in afterwards that it's all corsetry. So you, mm-hmm. if you think of, the corset being the base, and then you build something on top of the corset. So because yeah. the corset is keeping you in, yeah. but you don't see, you are just seeing what is outside of the corset, which is, gives the graffiti defined and makes the weights go small. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was quite a heavy influence. And I was fortunate enough to meet him once at a place where I did my buttonholes. And I said to him, um, oh my, I, you've been a really great influence. He was really down to earth, man, very, very kind. And, and again, that's why, when people approach me, I try to do that because I, I realized how I felt when, when I went you to met him, him. How, 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 how gracious he was and, mm-hmm. you know, because he really did inspire me. That's um, great. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great to know that. So the Koshuba brand, where, which fashion show around the world or what runway would people yeah. expect to see you or have you, have you participated in? Um, I, I've done, I've done, I've done so many, but from now, the next fashion show I'm probably going to do will be Lagos Bridal Design Week last year, which was absolutely fantastic. Uh, the person behind it, you know, the combination of good contacts and exquisite taste was able to produce a show that was really, truly amazing. Now, because I do uh, couture, it's not like I'm doing shows where I'm then looking for buyers to, you know, that's, the you know, if you're going to do a fashion show, it's not entertainment, you know, yeah. there should be a purpose behind it. And oftentimes, um, the fashion show is so that fashion buyers come in and then they can stock for their boutiques. Well, I am sending, selling to the end client. So yeah. fashion shows really are not, um, a priority for me. So, um, have you been privileged? Which, of course, I know you would have been privileged <laughs> to, to to design for celebrities. If it, this is something you can share on the show, yes, I I have um, I have been privileged to design for celebrities. But and I, you know, I can tell you who they are. But I have to say that my attitude is um, I'm not. It doesn't really. I don't. It's difficult for me to explain. I just want a client 
that is going to appreciate what I do and is going to pay me what I feel I am worth and is going to be extremely happy at the end of it. That's my ideal client. Yeah. A lot of, I know a lot of people go for celebrities, but the irony is that most celebrities that you know, have a lot of money, I guess they might expect to either you, you feel so grateful that you do it for nothing or in the, in the aim that, you know, maybe the exposure, but I've been in business a long time. I know sometimes it doesn't work that way. Having said that, you know, I've designed for Sheila Ferguson. Um, she used to be part of the three degrees. I've designed for Alicia Dixon. Wow. Um, there's an actress called Indra Uve. Um, I've dressed Shay Shay. Um, she's yeah. a very famous Nigerian singer. Mm-hmm. Kelly Rowland, who used to be with um, Beyonce. Yeah. An actress called Angela Griffin. Mm-hmm. Benson. So I've, I've dressed uh, celebrities in the past, but I will be totally honest with you. I want mm. each client that comes to me to feel special, yeah. and that's what I don't really go out of my way to to do the celebrity thing. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, if someone like Oprah comes, aha, uh-huh, you know that sort of person, I know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> I know. Happy, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And for this fantastic work you've been doing, um, I guess you've had loads of apart from brides, um, your clients, you know, being happy with what you're doing. Yeah, uh, and of course, you've been an inspiration. To people as well have you received like awards or you know honors for your contribution basically to the fashion industry in this yes year? yes i have um over the years uh for example i've had the best uh, fashion icon award i've had fashion diversity award um gathering of african best award um i've been designer of the year for two years from mahogany bridal uh mahogany bridal mm. and um i was one of the black uh achievers uk black achievers um i was you know i was one of the people selected for that yeah. um i received an award during the africa fashion week in barcelona mm-hmm. um designer of the year um i again like the um celebrity thing I, mm-hmm. i'm grateful for this award that's what i get um fulfillment from is just the way I'm able to influence the way a bride looks on her special day. Yeah. And I know that is because of what I have done inside her dress that is making her look and feel that way. And yeah. they hear the gasp of people when they come. I mean, I've actually had uh, congregations applaud when the bride goes down, which I mm-hmm. think is the greatest compliment. Because, you know, sometimes it's in the church and you're not really meant to do that. But yeah. it's, and that's because they look, she still looks like herself, but there's just something that, oh my gosh, right. mm-hmm. that the way she looks. Mm-hmm. You know, that is what, that's where I get my most satisfaction from. Because, you know, it's quite a, it's quite a, you know, when I say labor intensive, sometimes we, it includes things where I'm cutting things and you have, you look at my, I look at my fingers and they've got holes in them or wow. there are some things that have heat, you know, when you're applying either diamond or whatever, sometimes you burn the tip of your fingers. But when that, when those moments happen, that's when I get my most satisfaction from. Wow. Wow. Fantastic. Fantastic to know that. So if um, a newbie was to approach you, um, yes. someone who's new into the fashion industry and yeah. say, oh, yeah, me. I really want to go into this. I know it's, it takes a lot of commitment. It takes a lot of, um, I've got passion for this. What mm. would you advise them? Okay. So, so first of all, I'll, I would say, first of all, just make sure it is indeed something you want to do, that you do 
have a passion for it because, you know, it's not as glamorous or as easy as sometimes it's made out to look from the outside. After that, once you've, once you've, um, once you've confirmed within yourself that that is what you want to do, I then say try as much as possible to get some sort of training. Now, if you can't go to um, a fashion school, try and maybe do short courses that, you know, will teach you drafting a pattern and, you know, basic sewing. Um, because I think it's really important to get technical knowledge. And mm-hmm. then you need to do some sort of work experience or internship it's really really important even if they're not paying you i say to new people that you are you just think of it as if you are going to do further training and you're paying learn your mistakes under other people's um auspices you know if that makes any sense because there are some things you cannot know until you've seen it happen in reality and it's best for you not to be finding those things out in your business, you should get some experience under your belt. And also aim for perfection. You know, turn your, turn your design inside out. What does it look like on the inside? It's not just getting the style. No, you have to, you know, you have to aim higher um, so that when you do want to then sell to, you know, internationally or to a more diverse crowd, your, your clothes are of the right standard. Um, nowadays, with social media, if you don't have Instagram, you don't have Facebook, then you need to sort yourself out because you're able to tell your story. You're able to deal directly with your clients. And apart from boosting posts, it's more or less free, you know, so it's just an ideal opportunity for new people now. You know, I almost envy them because it's like you're going five, six, seven steps ahead of what people would have done back in the day. But, you know, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. The, the world is your oyster and there are just so much more opportunities now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. Um, don't do this isolationist thing. Um, so people that are complementary to your business. So again, photographers, makeup artists, um, event planners, but also fellow designers as well, because, you know, um, you're not, not everybody's in competition. There's enough business to go around and just network, collaborate. That's what I'd say. Absolutely. I think I, I, I do agree with, with, with your point there, collaborating and yeah. also social media. What social yeah. media is doing now, you know, I can imagine back in those days, the amount you would have paid for a PR company, a marketing yeah. company to get out there. You can yeah. literally open a free Facebook account, Instagram, Absolutely. LinkedIn. And tell your story. And just tell your story and everyone all over the world can hear you. Yeah, yeah. So having, having said that about social media, media i mean i on all platforms i'm yemi kosiba so you want to make it easy for people to find you and you also want to be consistent so there's no point in being x on this platform and then y on another platform try and make it relevant to your brand name and then maybe your you know or if it's a name that is a bit generic then maybe you can add your name to it so that's why i'm yemi so you know ties my name but Kosiba which is my brand name and on Twitter Facebook LinkedIn uh, Snapchat 
everything is Yemi Kosiba. So it's easy for people to find me. That's another piece of advice I will give to people. Yeah, great, great, great to know that. And also, of course, I know you did mention that you've started to look at doing stuff back in West Africa, you know, and you, you're going to be in a, in a fashion show which is coming up um, soon. Mm-hmm. What other things would you look if, of course, an opportunity for you to possibly impact the African continent? So, of course, I know you're doing stuff in Nigeria, if there was an opportunity for you to do stuff in Ghana, Tanzania, Cameroon, what would that thing be? Um, well, uh, at the moment, I leave myself open to ideas. Uh, I think at the moment now, what I can give would be in terms of giving talks or doing short workshops, passing on knowledge. I think that's where I can make more of an impact. Um, I'm not thinking of setting stuff, you know, um, from a commercial level. I think it's more passing on knowledge, passing on education, um, giving more people an opportunity to then go go ahead and, 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 you know, learn best practice and, and do their things. I, that's the way I can see myself doing um, things sort of all around Africa um, to be more of a, a, a speaking or a, a, or a teaching, yeah. Uh, yeah. personal knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, imp- impacting people, sharing that knowledge. Yeah, that capacity everybody. building. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic to know that. And of course, um, like, you know, the African Emerging podcast, it was an idea I thought about recently because I've just realized that we've got loads and loads of um, people from the African continent. We find ourselves here in the developed economies. Most of yeah. us are doing great and fantastic things. But when we look back to the African continent, we can see uh, most times when we see on the regular, uh, you know, media, we always see starvation, poverty. Yeah. crime but come to think of it that's not what all the story the Afri- African continent is all about we've no. got people who do fantastic things so that was the reason why I decided to set this up and to tell our story to share our narrative about the continent and also the people of the continent so that's great yeah if I want to hear from you being the first season of the show um and i know your time is is, is quite um you've got busy sh- um schedules um you accepting to come on the show was there any reason that did resonate with you or connect with you reason why we uh, were doing this um because i think i got where you're coming from and i also get where you want to go and that fits in with um what i feel is you know without being loved it fits within my purpose you know telling a, a positive story encouraging people that you know um there is uh, this is the way to go um you know telling the positive story that is also the reality you know and anything i can do to to sort of elevate that situation or be part of it i was very happy to to contribute so that's why i um I said, you know, I would make the time to 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 be part of this and hopefully it will elevate people that listen to it and also people just give people a, a more positive idea of things that are going on. Exactly, exactly. It was it's fantastic to have you on the show and I really did enjoy the conversation and I hope people would listen to this um, interview. Of course, we'll be inspired and we're going to, hopefully I'm hoping that from this conversation, I have a few 
people reaching out to say, oh, you know what, I've been looking all the way around to see how I can build this passion and I've just found the right person who can push me towards achieving it. That would be nice. I mean, as I keep saying, if I can do it, really anybody can. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show and um, do have a good day. Thank you very much. It's been lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Africa Emerging Podcast with our guest on the show. I hope you enjoyed the show like I did. Please like Africa Emerging on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe and download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play and Overcast. Like, share and review. Your feedback is extremely important to me. It will help me improve content provided on the show. Thank you for listening to the show. Spread the word on how Africans are changing the world. It's time to build the African continent. Subscribe to our newsletter on africaemerging.com.